moments we're going to move into some more time of uh, singing here at the back end of the message um, we just felt like this service would work good with a response at the end i invite you to turn to the book of james if you have your bibles with me or your phones uh, however you do this um, ipads whatever technological device um, a slither io does not work in this building here so you can't play that while we're going along there if you play that. I don't know if you guys play that. We're in a series uh, in the book of James going through it and uh, kind of going through verse by verse. There's a lot in each of these verses to unpack. And so today we're going to be going through verses 16 through 18. The book of James was written by the brother of Jesus to people who just become Christians. And so they, they didn't have all the resources that we have. Uh, and he's writing to say, hey, this is how the Christian life should be lived out. What he's concerned about as he starts this, and as the takes up a predominant amount of chapter one, is trials. These Christians were going through trials. Life is filled with trials. But he's saying, hey, look, you guys need to understand that when trials come, you, you need to live it out this way and not this way. And that's what we've been talking about these last few weeks. And he comes, I think, to his probably the pinnacle of this thing and his conclusions about his thoughts about God and trials. Um, and one of the things that he says right in the beginning is, don't be deceived. Trials have this ability to bring deception, to deceive us. They can be disorienting, and, and, and we don't even realize that we're not thinking straight. A couple weeks ago, um, I was out, uh, I, I got a flashlight. I got a brand new flashlight. I, I know this is exciting for some of you, but it was one of those big spotlight ones, like 3,500 lumens. I mean, this thing was massive. I was waving around. Planes were following it. I was like, oh, sorry about that. I mean, it just goes forever. And I bought it because my pigs got out again. And uh, that's a whole other story. Um, I have two pigs and won't very soon have two pigs. Um, and uh, so I was out looking for my pigs, and it was 5 o'clock in the morning, and uh, we have a big cornfield, and so you can't go in the cornfield at all because um, it's so high right now. And so I was walking around the outside, and I saw these, I saw deer, three deer, and I, my, my light just went right on them, and they're like, hey, that's a bright, shiny thing. Um, and so I'm walking towards them, not thinking anything about it, and they don't move. They just sit there, stand there actually, just chewing and looking at that thing going, it's really bright. And it was, it was two fawns and a, a deer, a doe, a female deer, sorry about that. <laughs> there we go. Um, so anyway, I start, I'm like about 100 yards away, 150 yards away, and I start walking towards it. And I'm just all nonchalant, just walking. It's five o'clock in the morning. I don't care. I'm just looking for my dumb pigs. And uh, I, got, I got up to like 75 yards and they still hadn't run. And I thought they would surely have run when they saw the light, but they didn't run. And here's what I discovered. There's a reason why they say you can't go hunting with a flashlight. Uh, because for whatever reason, it incapacitates the animal. They can't determine or discern that they're in danger. And so they just keep on going because it's just a bright, shiny light, and they don't know what's behind it. So I'm like, doing all my thing. And what's funny is I just had somebody come up to me afterwards and said, actually, if a, if a ranger had seen you with a flashlight, you would have got a $250 fine. And I'm like, but I don't even have a gun or a knife on me. I'm just, and 
you can't even do it. So don't go out and do this, okay? And say, my pastor did it, because apparently it's against the law, even if you're just out and just saying hi to Bambi and not even wanting to hurt anything. Um, so I start walking towards this deer. I'm about 100 yards, and then 75. They're not moving. So then, you know, 50 yards, and by then, the little kid in me takes over, right? And, and you know what this is like. The voice, Scott Brooks, the amazing hunter, you know, can creep up on anything. So I'm like going really, so I'm really quiet, 40 yards. Don't tell me you don't have those conversations. <laughs> Every one of us has those, right? I'm at 40 yards, then 30 yards, and I'm real quiet now, 20 yards, and I get to 15 and then this kind of little moment happens where I'm like, if I scare them, I really don't know which way they're going to run. And they could run towards me, and that would not be a good thing. Um, so I, just, I just, just kind of stamped my foot quietly. I wanted to see how, what it would take. So I just went like this. I went like that. Boom, they're gone. Just like took off. It was amazing what happens when they had the light on them. Like it completely deceives them about reality. They don't know what's true and what's not. They look at the bright and shiny light and think they're okay. Trials have the same effect on us. I should say trials can have the same effect on us. What happens in trials is we can get deceived about what is true and what is reality. We can look at something and think that's what's going on and be so convinced of it. It, when in reality, it's something else entirely. James starts this passage and he says, don't be deceived. And then he goes on to say this in verse six, 16 of chapter 1. Don't be deceived, my fellow brothers or my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, I've read these verses a lot over the course of my life, and, and I've skimmed through this going, yeah, I kind of understand that. Yeah, that, okay, I kind of get the gist of this. But it's one thing to read this and get the gist of it. It's another thing to try to explain this. Because all of, there's so many phrases in here that are slang terms, cultural terms of that time. And if, if you didn't grow up, some of you have grown up in a Christian home or Christian environment, and you've heard these things like, hey, yeah, yeah, I get that, I know that. If you haven't grown up, a lot of this stuff is like, what? What does that mean? Think of it this way. If you were someone who didn't speak English was, or wasn't from America, even from this area, there's all kinds of slang terms that we have that we don't even realize we use, but outsiders wouldn't understand them. Like last week's message was don't pass the buck, right? Or passing the buck. How would anybody understand that unless they grew up in America? Other slang terms. I don't you guys got any slang terms? Any, anything off the top of your head? Hog wild. Yeah. I give you a <laughs> buy some pigs, I'll tell you that. Um, somebody said, man, if they're not from Ohio, Browns win. That would be a slang that nobody would understand at all. Couch potato, bought the farm, shoot the breeze, bleed the fifth, ride shotgun. 
I mean, these are all terms we understand. There's phrases in here that are so contextual to them that we don't understand or don't normally use. And so we have to almost stop and say, hey, let's, let's figure out what each one of these means and then let's put it together. So that's what we're going to do to today. So he starts off with this, every good gift and perfect gift, well, we understand gifts, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So who is the Father of lights and what does this mean? Because that's, I can kind of get it, but I don't totally get it. And I want to credit a couple of scholars, because I actually had to do a lot of reading and studying just to get a handle on this. So Douglas Moo, Kent Hughes, David Nystrom, and Peter Davids. I just, I want to give credit where credit is due, because this sermon's built a lot on their insights into this passage. But as we come to the Father of Lights, it's a reference to the origins. There's two references here in the Bible that talks about the Father of Lights. One is for the origin of the universe, right? Creation. That God was there and the sun, the moon, the stars, everything that is in the heavens was created by him. He is the Father. He brought forth, as it were, the universe. Now the world would say, you know, no, it's not that. It's a big bang. And students, you'll hear this in school if you haven't already and some of you are going through it. It's a theory of evolution and the idea that there was a, uh, this explosion somehow a long time ago, millions of years ago, or billions of years ago, and dirt, given enough time, becomes you. Give dirt enough time and maybe some water and you'll grow a hummingbird. You'll grow a whale. You'll, you'll grow something so complex as the human eye or the human brain. If you just give dirt enough time. That, that's, the, that's the theory of evolution. And never mind the fact that as you look at that theory, it violates the scientific, empirically verifiable second law of thermodynamics, which says anything left to its own will go towards entropy, which is disorder and chaos. So how could something that is in chaos violate the second law of thermodynamics and become order? problem with evolution. How do they overcome the second law of thermodynamics? And what he is saying right here is, no, 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 there is a big banger. There is an uncaused causer. There is an unmoved mover. It is the father of lights, the one who has created all this. And James is saying, in trials, you have to know something about trials, and that is who's going along with you in the trial, and it's the Father of heavenly lights, the one who is unmoved, the one who's been there all along. And it's not the Father of lights only as creator. The Bible talks about the Father being, and God, the Trinity, being the source of all light in terms of, and they would talk about in terms of moral purity and goodness. Like there is, in his moral nature, it is essentially light. It is essentially good. You don't see shadows in him. You don't see any hint of evil in him. And he goes on to speak of God's unchanging nature when he says no variation, no shadow. The sun is always changing position. You can stand at one point and you see shadows as the sun moves. The moon, I don't know if you guys saw the big harvest moon, I think it was two nights ago. 
There was a shadow at night. That moon was so bright. God is not like the moon that waxes and wanes and goes up and goes down. It's a statement that we're surrounded by relativism. Trials, we feel like, surround us and show us relativism. And he's saying, but there is one that is unchanged. Someone that you can hold on to. And there's hints of him throughout creation. This guitar, it has a, I asked Jess permission in the first service. He's not here, so I'm going to do it again. But this guitar, oh, I got to press the white. This E, that's, a, that's an E. This E was an E 5,000 years ago. Think about that. It's the same E that Jesus heard, right? E. Bach, when he started writing Beethoven, right? Name your favorite guitarist. It's all E. It's going to be E for another 5,000 years and on. It doesn't change. And it has this, uh, to use a word out of music, an overtone of one who doesn't change. One who doesn't shift like the E. It stays the same. In trials, what happens is everything shifts. It feels like everything is up in the air. And he's saying, no, 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 there is the Father of heavenly lights who doesn't shift, who doesn't change, even though it seems like everything else is. It points to the fact that the moral law of God is still the same moral law of God. Evil is evil as it always has been evil. He's the fixed point. It goes on, James says, of his own will, in verse 18, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Now he returns back to this idea of pregnancy that he mentioned and birth, I mentioned in verses 13 through 15. Remember how he introduced this idea of the parent who has this pregnancy and it's temptation and the parent's name temptation then gives birth to the child and the child's name is sin and then that child quickly grows up and gives birth to the grandchild which is death. Now you all of a sudden you have this new pregnancy, birth, sequence, and, and now it's God the Father bringing forth, bringing forth us by the word of truth. And so what does that mean, bringing us forth? You could look at creation and say, well, that's, that's an obvious one, Genesis 1 and 2, where God creates by his word, the, 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 us, humanity, spoke the word, there was light, the heavens, the sea, the land, creates us by his word, the birth of humanity. You also see another way that God does this. I'm just trying to unpack this so you, you get the full understanding and then I think the direct application because there's multiple ways God uses this. He also spoke the word and created Israel. If you read up on the screen in Deuteronomy, he says this, you were unmindful of the rock that bore you and you forgot the God who gave you birth. He's speaking to Israel. A third Option is a reference. Uh, these are the three that I think are within the word. It, it's the reference that points to when someone has saving faith in Christ. 
Jesus actually said to, to one religious scholar who was trying to figure out Jesus and what he was talking about, he says, look, you actually have to be, spirit, you have to be born again. And the guy's like, what? That's impossible. Go back to my mom. That's not going to happen. He says, no, 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 no. You've got to be born again. It's called a spiritual birth. And in this sense, it is God the Father who brings us forth by his word. So it says in John chapter 1, to all received Jesus, him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It seems as you look at this passage in the context, redemption is what he has in mind. Although you could say creation is part of this when you see the Father of heavenly lights and, and the reference to that, but it seems redemption is the one that fits. Not only that, but when he starts talking about the word of truth, what is the word of truth? What does that mean? And, and that could, again, be referring to creation when he spoke and it happened. It could also be referring to what we would call now as, as the Bible. They called it the law back then or the prophets, the law and the prophets. But this is often referred to as the word of truth multiple times. Uh, God refers to his word that way. Interestingly, it also is used of redemption. It says this. Actually, I think I skipped Psalm 119. Uh, did, I, did I skip that, or is that up there? This is where it talks about the, the word being, take not the word of truth out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. That's the reference to that. So then going on to redemption, rather, it says, it has this idea, the word of truth, and it talks about, you know, if we've just talked about the spiritual birth, and the word of truth referring to redemption seems to dovetail. And this is what Colossians says about the word of truth actually being redemption. It says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Oh, sorry, got that sentence wrong. But uh, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. Redemption, the word of truth are the same thing in this passage. The gospel, what's the gospel? That's, that's the good news. What's the good news? Well, well, that's the story of God's plan to redeem this world, and ultimately it's the, the climax of that is in Christ coming to this earth, becoming a man, living the perfect life, dying on the cross, perfect sacrifice, being raised to new life, and then ascending into heaven and offering this that chance at eternal life through him, faith in him. That, that's the gospel, and he's calling it the word of truth. So he says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So of his own will, he, in a sense, God the Father led us to be born again by the truth of the gospel, is how you would say that. In verse 18, he says, in conclusion, as he goes on, he says that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Well, what is first fruits? Well, it's a harvest word. If you 
are familiar with that. The first fruit is what you cut first or what you pick first or whether you dig up first in terms of animals is what you kill first. And that's the first fruits. It's the best. It's ready. It's ripe. It's fresh. And as you go through Israel's history, you see God then saying, I want you to bring the first fruits as an offering. Bring it to me as a sacrifice of worship. And so people would bring in their grain. They'd bring in the fruit. They would bring in the animals, the first fruits, the best. So what does that mean? Well, it's interesting. If we go into the New Testament, God starts to call those who have faith in Christ, Christians, first fruits. Thessalonians says, We ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief and truth. And what does that mean? Because it's still simply just saying, okay, that's happened, but what still does that mean? Paul explains it in Romans 8, and he does actually a great job. He says this, For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons, and I would say the daughters of God. Both could be included there. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as Son, the redemption of our bodies. We are the first fruits, meaning God's plan of redemption has not been fulfilled completely. So you and I are the first fruits of a harvest that is still to come when he returns and, and sets everything straight. So we're the first fruits in the sense of a first fruit being what God has chosen for the harvest, but also for the world to see. The first fruits of redemption, the first fruits of the gospel. The Holy Spirit is in us and confirms that we are part of the first fruits, and yet we groan, just like creation saying, when is this going to happen? When is it going to be over? So let's go back now and put this all together. If verses 2 through 18 are about trials, I think one of the things that can happen in trials is that we run low on perspective. We run low on truth. We get spotlighted about reality. And if you live long enough, this will happen to you. I've lived long enough, and it's happened to me. Have you ever had somebody say something to effect that when you're in a trial, and it's something intense, and it's overwhelming, and they come up to you, and they say something to the, along the lines of, you're not thinking straight. You're not thinking straight. You're not thinking clearly. That's slang for you're deceived. Your thinking's off. You're wrong. You ever have somebody come up and say that to you? 
Trials can do this. Not because we want to. Not because we are excited to. It's just the nature of trials. When, when we're facing temptation that trials can bring, it's hard not to be deceived and to think that that will make us feel better. It's hard not to be deceived to think, it's okay. I deserve it. It's hard not to believe that this is more real than God. It's hard not to believe that this feels more permanent and more stable in terms of what's in front of us. It's more real than God. It'll never end. It's God's fault. Bail on God. Forget righteousness. Just do whatever you have to do to make it go away and make yourself feel better. God wouldn't want me to feel this way. And James comes into our trials just, I think, roaring with declarations about truth. Truth. He's saying, don't be deceived. Truth. And, and the truth, as you look at these 18 verses, is God will give you the wisdom. He'll give you the wisdom that you need to know the next step. He may not give you the whole plan, but he'll give you what you need for today. He's actually working in you. You don't feel it. You don't see it, but he's working in you. He's perfecting you. I remember just sitting down with someone, life had fallen apart for them, and it was like bad falling apart. And we had been meeting, and then I wasn't able, we weren't able to meet for schedule reasons or something like that for several months. It was like three months, two months. And they came back, and they were still in a, it was just awful, still in the trial, still awful, but I was sitting back going, in two months, I cannot believe the growth you could see the presence of God on them and they couldn't see it. Couldn't see it. So much had changed in how they were, how were they looking at life and how they were thinking through relationships. God will give the wisdom. God is working. God is perfecting. Don't for a minute think he's not working. And, and then James goes on and he says, no, stay with God because there, there is a life that is coming that is beyond this life. It's, and there's a crown waiting for those who choose to follow Christ and put him first. Who, who aren't double-minded but single-minded. I'm in. And in verse 16 through 18, as he's just got done saying, you don't blame God for, for your temptation and sin and the death that comes. That's not God's fault. That's yours. And he says, don't be deceived about it. Let me tell you about the God that you worship and serve. This God is bigger than your trials. He's the father of lights. He made the lights. He is light. If you want to bump up against something that's permanent, it's not your trial. It's him. He's the one to run into and to run towards. He's good. He is light. You won't find evil in him. 
I was just talking to someone after the service. They said, that whole light thing, and they said, you wouldn't believe just in the, the last, they've been going through a trial that's lasted now, I think it's about a year, year and a half, and they're hoping it's over. It's like, when is this going to be done? And they said, at night, she said, you wouldn't believe the shadows I see. And just, I, I see it. I, I, I can feel the evil sometimes at night. And she says, I just get out the word and I start praying and I say, Lord, fill this room up with you. And she's like, the lights aren't on, but it's light. You ever have those moments at night when everything's shifting and nothing's clear? He is the father of light. You ever given in to sin and temptation and you feel the, the death around you and the darkness around you and, and you know what it's like to come into his light and to see the darkness go? You know, there's seasons in my life I like to, uh, I love to read. I keep uh, a record of, of uh, books that I've read. And uh, I have two categories. I have serious books, and then I got fluff books, mind candy. And uh, I was fortunate enough to have a, a, very, um, a very sheltered life growing up. Sheltered from trials, that is. Um, I'm very fortunate. I just look back on that, and I just... This word trials, I was like, I don't know what that's, what is everybody talking about trials for? And I was very, very fortunate with my parents um, and the home that I had. And uh, it's been interesting as an adult, um, as an adult, you're just going to have it. You can't get sheltered from it. It's going to come. And I can chart on my reading list. It was fascinating to go back and read. There are years where I hardly read anything because I didn't have the energy. There were years where all I read was fluff, like just mind candy, dumb books you throw away. I couldn't handle reading anything serious. I just wanted to escape. And then there's years where I read and read and read, and I could not stop reading. I wanted to just take in all this stuff and learning and growing. You ever have years like that of trials? Not just weeks, not just days, but I know, we all know, trials that can last beyond a month or two. I was talking to someone who just is in a trial that's tied with their family. And this isn't just months, this is decades. And what do you do? They were just mentioning it after the service. And we do, uh, how do you move through it and, and they just they talked about I just all I see is every day God the Father like a father does taking my hand and just saying let's go through this day and that's about all I got final thought James has about these trials is that we're first fruits. You and I 
are the picture of the harvest to come. Not only for ourselves, but for this world. We're, we're the picture that there is truth out there. There is someone who is unchanging, everlasting, good, filled with light. And this is what happens when you bump up against him. Your life. And how you handle trials and how I handle trials is a testimony to our faith in him and his presence. We're going to spend some time here at the back end of this message and some of you are in trials right now and, and I get it and this, this time we're going to sing a couple songs. It's a time just to let God give you some good gifts because when you're in trials, that's all you want. It's like, well, just give me something good. I don't, I don't even have anything. You're just at a loss. And uh, if you're not in a trial, you've got a lot to thank God for today. Just praise him. Just worship him. Let's just spend some time here in his presence, the father of heavenly lights.